The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the land, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The Gospel of the Lord. be here with you this morning. My name is Reverend Mark McDonald and uh, welcome to uh, all the guests who've joined us for the baptism this morning and uh, it's always a special occasion and this morning I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, Jesus, we'll talk a little bit about uh, baptism and John's recollection of baptising Jesus and maybe why that might be significant for us today as we come forward for baptism. So I wonder, when you saw the uh, coronation of King Charles, what was going through your mind at that time? Uh, Lisa and I were in London, it was a very busy occasion, uh, we didn't actually get to the cathedral where, or the place where he was being uh, crowned, but what struck me watching it on TV was that, in a way, this long history of Great Britain takes a whole lot of symbols and puts it onto one man and then that man becomes the king over all the Commonwealth. Now, we know previously they put all of those symbols onto uh, Queen Elizabeth, and so it it's goes to the person of birth. So by birthright, handed from generation to generation, they put these symbols onto somebody. The same could be said of, of King Frederick, who was uh, crowned in Denmark, uh, from one generation to the next. We know in recent times what it's like to have somebody uh, take on what it means to be a king. I don't know whether you saw the, the film of uh, Napoleon, quite a gruesome film, so if you haven't seen it, don't go see it. Uh, but there's a scene, and if you know your history, uh, there's a scene in the film where the um, minister is about to crown Napoleon, but Napoleon wants to make a statement about his own claim to the crown, and so he takes the crown himself in his hands and crowns himself. And I think these two images of somebody being handed leadership by a generation after generation, and also Napoleon's example of someone claiming leadership for themselves, they're the two models that we see in our world today. Leadership going to somebody who's maybe uh, next in line, or somebody claiming leadership for themselves. But what we see at the baptism of Jesus is a vastly different situation. At the baptism of Jesus, it says that the heavens open up 
and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on Jesus. Jesus doesn't get his role as king because it's handed from generation to generation. Nor does Jesus claim leadership for himself. Leadership comes anointing from God above. And at this point in the life of Jesus, it's not a crown that is symbolic of his kingdom, it's the Holy Spirit. The symbol of Jesus' kingdom at this point is not a crown, but a dove. And the dove represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes down to show all of the people around that Jesus has a special role. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there were occasions where either an angel of the Lord or the Holy Spirit visited somebody and perhaps gave them a new mission, but the Holy Spirit or the angel then withdrew. But what happens at the baptism of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit comes down and remains on Jesus. What we have in the account today is, is not the rest of the Gospels which talk about how Jesus was actually baptised. What we have in our Gospel reading today is John's testimony to his disciples after the fact of what he saw. And what he sees is that the Holy Spirit which came down on Jesus, rested on Jesus and remained with Jesus. This marks Jesus as special. It marks Jesus as different to every other character in the Old Testament. In fact, John said that he was baptizing and he knew that the one who he baptized and the Holy Spirit descended and remained on, that that person was the Messiah. He didn't know who the Messiah was going to be. He didn't know who the Christ was going to be. But he knew that whoever the Holy Spirit came down and remained on, that would be the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And so John testifies that he knew the prophets of the Old Testament had promised that the Messiah would retain the Holy Spirit. And so this means that the Holy Spirit comes and remains with Jesus but it's not just for Jesus. Yes, it's going to empower Jesus. I don't have time to get into all the theology of it now, but Jesus being human, taking on the form of humanity, most of the miracles that he performs is actually under the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own divinity, but that's a theology lesson for another time. But what we do know is that Jesus is to give this Holy Spirit away. And it's not something that is a, a, a finite resource. Jesus is able to give away the Holy Spirit and still remain his own uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. And so John, who baptises with water, says that Jesus is going to baptise with the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus commissions his disciples... He says, go and baptise all the nations in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. 
So we baptise in the church today with water, that's the symbol, and we're going to pour it, hopefully, we're going to pour it on Annabelle's head. Um, we'll, We'll see how we go. But the symbol is water, but it's also in the Holy Spirit. The water is a symbol of new birth, and John baptised with the water for the same reason. But once Christ, the Messiah, came along, we baptise with something more. We baptise with the Holy Spirit. The other thing that John shows us in this passage, the passage of the Gospel of John, not John the Baptist, but this passage of the Gospel of John, shows us is what's interesting is that everybody in this little passage that meets Jesus, and it goes a little bit before and a little bit after what we heard, in this short passage, it actually represents four days. Later on, you can read it, and it says the next day and the next day and the next day. You can see it. It's it's four days it represents. But each one of these characters in this little passage that encounter Jesus, they actually go and bring someone else to meet Jesus. It shows us that the model of discipleship that John is portraying right from the very beginning is to be a disciple means to introduce somebody else to Jesus. John the Baptist, for example, he's got his disciples and he shared the testimony of what happened at the baptism of Jesus. And with his disciples standing there, he points at Jesus and says, look, there is the Lamb of God. This section is just a few days after John himself had been quizzed about whether he was the Messiah and John goes to great lengths to say, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. John tells everybody that he's not even fit to undo the sandal of the Messiah. And to undo the sandals was the role of a slave. And John says he's not even fit to undo the sandal. That's how least he is as as one of the great prophets of the Scriptures. So John hands his disciples over to Jesus. Two of these disciples leave John and go follow Jesus. Andrew is one of them. Andrew is one of the disciples and he goes off and gets his brother Simon. And Simon, he takes along to Jesus and he introduces Simon to Jesus. Andrew tells his brother that they've found the Christ, they've found the Messiah. Simon is changed when he meets Jesus. And Jesus gives him a new name, a new identity. He calls him Peter. And this word is like a a play on words because it means rock. And it's going to become significant later on when Peter's identity is tested and shaped and a lot will be rested on Peter's shoulders. But we also read that Philip is following Jesus. Jesus calls him and says, follow me. Philip goes and gets Nathaniel and introduces him to Jesus. Nathaniel is a bit sceptical at the start. We read that in the scriptures there. Perhaps like so many of our friends who are sceptical about Jesus. 
But what I think is interesting in John's Gospel is that when Nathaniel comes to meet Jesus, Nathaniel is changed by meeting Jesus face to face. Notice that someone told Nathaniel about Jesus, but he didn't believe yet. Notice someone told Simon about Jesus, but he didn't believe it. It was only when they met Jesus face to face that they actually believed. I think this is a role of discipleship, a role of making disciples. We can talk to people about Jesus. We can talk to them about Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But until they have an encounter with Jesus, they meet Jesus face to face, they take this faith on themselves. It's just information. And so our role is to share the good news of Jesus, bring people to Jesus, and then pray that the Holy Spirit would work so that they would come to know who Jesus is. And perhaps I think this is one of the reasons that we bring people to the font for baptism, because it's an act of discipleship for us. Seb and Bree, in their faith in Jesus, bring Annabelle to baptism to say that they will raise Annabelle in the family of God. Baptising a baby or a child is a way of saying that we want that child to know Jesus and we want that child to grow up in the family of God. So in many ways, people bringing their children to baptism is an act of discipleship, an act of obedience, an act of faith, saying that we will raise our children in the family of God. And then this little short passage, it also has a long list of names for Jesus. And there's a list of names on the screen. But these names they all show us something about the identity of Jesus. As each person in this opening chapter of John comes to meet who Jesus is, their perception of who Jesus is is changed and they understand the true identity of Jesus. Now, some people pick names like a Nazarene or son of Joseph Maybe they don't really understand the identity of who Jesus is. There are some people who, and, and the Gospel of John doesn't list this at this chapter, but there are some people who are sceptical of Jesus or they actually are fearful of Jesus. They know who he truly is, but because it threatens their own religious uh, perspective, they actually want to do away with Jesus. But that's the story of Easter and we'll leave it till later. But as you have a look at that list of names, I wonder if there's an image for Jesus that resonates with you a little more. And I think there's a, a sense when we look through that list that I think it's a list of names for Jesus that really tells us who Jesus is. John, from the outset of his gospel, wants the reader to know the true identity of Jesus. It's not like he's portraying Jesus as, as just 
a, a great prophet or a great teacher or a wise, uh, learned person and then at the very end says, surprise. Now, he wants you to know from the very beginning of the story the true identity of Jesus. That's why I suppose I, I, I just personally really struggle with the secular narrative that, that people acknowledge that Jesus is a historical figure, but they say, oh, he never claimed he was God. All the gospel accounts clearly articulate that Jesus was the Son of God. Maybe Jesus himself called himself the Son of Man, verse 51, because he wanted to uh, d distance himself from some of the views of the Messiah that people had of his day, where people turned the Messiah, not from what was promised in the Old Testament, but they turned the Messiah image into somebody who would rescue them from the Roman oppression. And Jesus, from the very outset, didn't want to be tied to being some kind of military leader. But at least in this opening chapter of John's Gospel, it's clear who Jesus is. He is the Son of God sent here for the sins of the whole world. And one of the phrases that appears in this is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God in this section is said by John the Baptist. And there's very few people in the whole of the Scriptures that actually refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Paul mentions Lamb, but he doesn't actually refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God. But I'm not sure about your Christian upbringing or your understanding of Christian jargon, but the Lamb of God is, is part of the Christian vocabulary. A, a, a sort of a line from John the Baptist becomes an image that all Christianity uses and puts into our vocabulary. So over this period of Lent, leading up to Easter, I want to talk to us a little bit more about this image of the Lamb of God. It's, it's a passage that helps us understand more, it's an image that helps us understand more about the identity of Jesus. It's an image that helps us understand more about why Jesus came. It's an image that helps us understand more about why some things happened to Jesus that we might find confronting in our uh, Western culture, in our urban dwelling culture, a culture that's distant from the realities of uh, Middle Eastern culture at the time of Jesus. These images that are tied to the Jewish scriptures, I want to help us understand that so that when we get to Easter, we'll be able to understand why some of the events of Easter occurred. So in our journey through Lent, we're going to look at a few passages. I'm just looking. Um, Vicky, do you want to just go and get the children because we'll go to the baptism shortly. Over this period of Lent, we're going to look at a few passages throughout the Bible that talk about the Messiah, 
And they talk about the Messiah as a lamb. And just like John says, the lamb that will take away the sins of the world. So we're going to look at the images of lamb and sacrifice in the Old Testament. We're also going to understand a little bit about the sacrificial system that started in Egypt and continued right through to the temple sacrifice at the time of Jesus and how we might not understand that temple sacrifice system, but the people who knew Jesus understood it all and so it all clicks into place for them. So in our journey towards Easter, we want to understand more about this sacrificial system and who Jesus is as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But also, our vision of eternal life in the book of Revelation says that the whole creation will kneel before the Lamb of God. And so our view of what happens after we die is also connected to this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And all of this will reach its high point at our Easter weekend. But our passage today reminds us that John baptised Jesus like he had done so many other people and the Holy Spirit descended and rested on Jesus in a way that had not happened to all the other people that John baptised. And because of that, when Jesus handed on baptism to his disciples, he said to baptise in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when we baptise, and we baptise Annabelle today, It's a special opportunity to acknowledge that God loves Annabelle and that she will be raised in God's family. And so we're going to baptise her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The liturgy for baptism, which we'll go through in a second, actually has some images from the Old Testament about how water is important. 